and welcome to Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is the place where we do two things. We drill deep into the oil industry and the oil markets, an industry that produces a product from dead dinosaurs from millions of years ago and who now feel like even $50 oil was last seen around these parts a few million years ago. And where we drill deep with an expert, either one of my colleagues at FreightWaves or somebody from the outside. Today, we've got Mitch Strobin of Urgent Care Travel, whose urgent care centers at truck stops around the country are helping to keep alive and healthy the drivers who are allowing this country to stay fed and taken care of during the COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking of these drivers, we're looking at some mixed signals about how much business they're getting. I'm going to focus here today solely on the diesel market because there are plenty of other great FreightWaves offerings, podcasts, FreightWaves TV, uh, all the content on FreightWaves.com, and they all talk about volumes and rates. So we're just going to look here about diesel, at least one segment of diesel, and to talk about what it's telling us. So two numbers. One of them is from the sonar data feed, ULSDV.USA. It's a series that compiles the volume of diesel fuel sold at the rack, which is the term for the wholesale distribution point where tankers fill up to take diesel out to the retail outlets. And it's pointing down. It's pointing very much down. If you look at the decline in the index between March 8th and April 8th, so that's a Wednesday to a Wednesday. And then, you know, the days change over the course of the week. There's fewer rack loadings on the weekends. So if you look at that March 18th to April 8th stretch, the drop is 17%. That is a much larger number than the federal government is reporting. In a weekly report, which coincidentally also comes out on Wednesday, there's always a lag of a few days, but the weekly Energy Information Administration report that came out April 8th says the decline in diesel demand or decline in diesel supply to the market over the last four weeks is just 5.5%. So that's that's a significant gap between 17% that the sonar data picked up and the 5.5% that the EIA data, data has. But, you know, the, the EIA report has always involved a lot of modeling as opposed to the counting of barrels that you find in the ULSDV.USA series. And I think that latter one is pointing to a significantly bigger decline in diesel demand than the Department of Energy figures that have just come out. So trying to look at prices right now and figure out what's going on with diesel can be kind of a bit of a fool's game. Obviously, they're down overall in the last several weeks, but you can often judge the strength of the market also by looking at how diesel is doing relative to the crude benchmarks, West Texas Intermediate, which is the U.S. grade, and Brent, which is the international benchmark. The problem with those benchmarks is that right now they're so volatile and they're so impacted by day-to-day headlines that trying to look at the strength of diesel compared to crude could tell you something really inaccurate, really, until the markets calm down a bit. But here is one thing that prices can tell you. Refiners making gasoline are losing a lot of money, and they would far rather make diesel. And last week, the federal government said that refiners and blenders in this country made more diesel relative to the amount of gasoline they made ever in the history of their data series going back to 1982. It wasn't even close. Never in the history of this data has diesel been more than 40% of what came out, came out of refiners and blenders. And last week, it was up to 46%. This is just so off the charts. Nobody could have ever foreseen this. And given that this other data, including that from Sonar, is showing a pretty sharp contraction in the use of diesel, the price of diesel compared to crude, I think, is going to crater. I, I just think it has to. There's just not enough diesel demand to keep its price relative to crude at higher levels. The one thing that might stop that from happening is a lot of refiners start to shut down completely or drastically cut their operations, and you are seeing that. But I think you can start to think in terms of diesel kind of catching up 
the declines in, in crude over the next several weeks. I just think far more worrying, though, is that data on diesel demand. It's obviously a direct function of the miles being driven. And while Truck, stock, truck Stops of America may have announced a few weeks ago that their diesel volumes were elevated, that is the word they use, quote-unquote elevated, that was in the first rush of trucks going crazy trying to restock their shelves. That has clearly faded. Our data on volume show that, and I think you're now seeing it in the diesel demand numbers. We like to think that our numbers in the OTVI data series are more up-to-date than the EIA numbers, and if they are, that 17% decline is a very worrisome number for the trucking industry. We're going to move on now to this week's discussion of the coronavirus and one of the most challenging issues for the trucking industry, specifically, how do you keep healthy a group of people, the drivers, who already have a disproportionate number of health issues just going in, and but still at the same time have been desperately needed to move supplies around the country? When they're out there on the road, not just now, really, but all the time, they would have been able to stop at an urgent care travel center located at a pilot flying J center and receive exactly what the name says, urgent care. But now it's a whole new world. The people on the front lines at Urgent Care Travel are dealing with a highly infectious disease. There's no cure, but they're serving an industry where it's not as if the workers can all be told to go home and get better. So we've got Mitch Strobin here to talk to us today on Drilling Deep. Mitch is the Senior Vice President of Relationship Management at Urgent Care, and he's going to speak to us about what's going on with his people on the road and the people he takes care of. So, Mitch, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Why don't you give a better description of what your company does, better, certainly better than I can do? <laughs> well, you had a good start. So we do indeed operate a network of medical clinics at Pilot and Flying J Travel Centers. Uh, there are 14 today. And we focus on a, a wide range of services, not only, uh, I'll say, coronavirus, as we're seeing today, and I'll, we'll get into that in more detail, but also DOT physicals and drug screens, primary care services, and chronic care management services. So are you the primary doctor for a lot of these drivers? Yes, we are. Indeed, there are many drivers on the road just because the, the nature of the job that they can never get to a, uh, a home-based uh, physician just because they're never around. So indeed, we do act as a PCP or primary care physician for many drivers. All right. So how did the when did you sort of first become aware of the coronavirus and what was the first reaction within urgent care travel? How, what did you think? Oh, wow, this is going to hit us. And what do we have to do to get ready? Our first impression is we better get our clinics ready. And that's uh, in multiple ways, not only preparing the clinic itself to be a, a healthy and safe environment, but also testing services. And so we focused very early on on being able to provide testing uh, for the COVID-19 at all of our clinics. Okay. And and so were you able to get the tests that a lot of people say they have not been able to get? Yes. Yeah, so it, it, it indeed was a challenge. So we do have test kits at all of our clinics, but just as challenging was getting the PPE uh, from the you know, the, the face shields, the masks, the gloves, the gowns. So you need all components in order to effectively and safely conduct uh, COVID-19 testing. So now what were you finding in terms of the tests that you were giving? Were drivers just kind of walking up to you and saying, you know, A, I'm scared of it, B, I don't feel that great, or is there anything you can do proactive to get these people in? They're on the road. You don't even know if they're going to stop at your travel center. So when you're faced with something like this, how do you, how do you get them to take those tests? 
So absolutely. So actually, it's a kind of a two-stage process. So the first thing we do is we engage in a telemedicine, a video conference with that driver. They could be anywhere in the country, in their truck, could be anywhere. And that's really the first stage to do that evaluation. And we go by the CDC guidelines to determine then if that individual is qualify, qualifies for a COVID-19 test. So for us, that's absolutely the safest approach. Even if the driver is at our pilot or flying J where our clinic is, we will always do that evaluation first remotely, so to speak, so that they're not in the clinic. Because in the clinic, you have other patients there. So we need to keep the clinic pristine, sanitized, and healthy at all times. All right. And I'm sure the numbers of people in the clinic go up and down, but let's, let's, is there an average number in, in a day, how many uh, patients your average clinic sees? We see, depending on the clinic, could be 15 to 30 patients a day. So it's really incumbent upon us to keep the environment safe. And what we've done, and this relates to uh, the coronavirus, is we lock the doors, even when we're open, so that anyone who needs to come in for a service, whether it's a DOT physical or a a diabetes checkup, uh, we do a temperature check before they come in the building. Because we want to do whatever we can just to ensure the safety, not only of our clinic team, but also other patients who may, may already be in the clinic. Now, is that a post-coronavirus policy, or had you always done that? That's a post-coronavirus uh, policy. So when that happened, we knew we had to get into action. We removed chairs from the lobby so that they're six feet apart. And, you know, with because we're at uh, a pilot of Flying J, you know, you can wait in your truck and we can just text you when it's your turn to come in for, let's say, your DOT physical. So you don't always have to be inside uh, the lobby of the clinic. Right. So, yeah, your waiting room is essentially the, si- the size of the parking lot at the center, right? Exactly. And then even taking the next step. So once someone has gone through the telemedicine evaluation and then it's deemed they should get a COVID-19 test, we will do the test outside if safety and weather conditions permit. So from the comfort of their truck, if their truck is anywhere near where our clinic building is, and we have physical buildings on these sites, we will go to the truck, uh, to the truck and to the driver and actually conduct the swab while they're in their truck. Once again, trying to keep things as safe as possible and keeping as much distance between that individual and anyone else. Now, you know, the d- discussion in this country, it's very political, which is, you know, how how fast did people sort of accept the idea that this is a big problem? Do you have any observations about the trucking industry, whether, I mean, there may, I'm quite sure there were people in the among drivers who realized right away they were about as exposed as anybody could be being out there in, in, the, in the world more than the average human being. And then, you know, maybe there were others who would just had that skepticism that you see in certain quarters, which... Can, can you kind of give a, an indication of which way you felt the industry was leaning? I, the, we're seeing the industry leaning toward precaution. You know, since we uh, launched our telemedicine service, this was uh, within the past two weeks, we've had calls, contacts with many fleets who want to set up the service with urgent care travel to provide that initial evaluation and testing if needed for their drivers. So they're, they're being very proactive, actually. Uh, they want to make sure that their drivers are, are, are healthy or at least don't have the virus. Because if just imagine these drivers, they're going across state lines. They're going from place to place. They could be interacting with anyone. And so uh, 
since many of the drivers are transporting these critical goods and medical supplies, I think we're seeing the, the fleets really step up and being proactive about this. Now, when you would give, would give a test, how quickly could you get the results? The tests, uh, the, the, the current tests we have are the 48 to 72 hours. We're always looking to see if we can get the newer tests, but we needed to start somewhere. So we started with the, the first batch of tests. Uh, and once again, we are looking for the, uh, the more rapid tests. Right now, but by that time, of course, the person you tested could be hundreds, if not a thousand miles away. Um, so what do you, let's say the test comes up positive. What do you then recommend to them? It's not like you can do that much. They're long gone. So uh, how do you react to a situation like that? Well, first, we're making recommendations the moment they're taking a test or even the moment they go through the evaluation from social distancing to self-isolation, to quarantining. So there's always uh, recommendations that's happening from the very get-go. You know, once the results uh, become known, then there's notification for the driver, the, the public health department, uh, potentially the fleet, because we're all working in concert to get that driver in a safe location, isolated or quarantined, and then whatever the next steps may be. All right. What are the tests that are 48 to 72 hours? I'm not familiar with the whole realm of tests. I've been trying to keep up. <laughs> I know that the Abbott test was one that was considered very uh, promising right. because you got you got the results back in like 15 minutes, but then you you needed to have Abbott facilities there to do them. So what kind? And then of course the there's the test where you take the nose swab, which looks like a truly frightening prospect. <laughs> Seen the diagram. <laughs> so uh, what kind of tests are you running? These are the nose swabs, but don't be afraid. Uh, we do them well, and there's okay. you know guidelines of let's say how far to stick the swab up, uh, and these are from Quest. And LabCorp. Okay. And can you, so you, you then have to send them out to Quest, let's say for analysis after they're done? Correct. And, you know, they'll get them immediately. Correct. And then we'll get the results within 48 to 72 hours. Now, you mentioned 15 to 30 visitors a day. I'm assuming that was pre-coronavirus. Um, you had a lot more traffic on the road for a while. All the indications certainly that we see are that traffic now is starting to slide. How's that 15 to 30 number look right now? Well, it's interesting. You are, you are seeing, I'll, I'll say, a, a slight downturn. There's no question about that. But from a clinic perspective, they're just as busy because now they're fielding more calls related to coronavirus and doing more of the tele, telemedicine evaluations. We're using our staff for those evaluations uh, just to ensure some continuity of care. And in an average clinic, how, how is it staffed? How many doctors do you have? How many nurses? How many physician assistants might you have? Our, uh, our clinics are typically a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant and a medical assistant. In some locations, we have two uh, nurse practitioners or PAs. I see. Okay. And uh, have you going to be kind of tough to add to that right now, but have you felt any pressure to add to that? Um, not yet. Not yet. I mean, we're always monitoring and the, the facilities we have all have three exam rooms or more. So they are built to handle expansion if the need arises. Okay. What, uh, let's just talk about the general state of the health of the trucking industry. I think almost anybody in this business would concede that the average driver is certainly less healthy than most Americans. And most Americans, a lot of, a lot of Americans aren't too healthy to begin with. Uh, so what are you seeing out there? I'm sure you see a lot of diabetes. I'm sure you see a lot of obesity. How much more difficult has it been for you to, to deal with this? And just in general times, how much more of is it, is it a challenge? Well, what we've seen, if we start, let's just say, start with the DOT physical. 
48% of the drivers on the road get a one-year or less certification due to a chronic condition like hypertension, diabetes, which can, of course, be the result of being obese. So literally half the drivers on the road have a chronic condition or one or more chronic condition. And that's really how we focus our clinic operations. Yes, we do DOT physicals and drug screens. Yes, we do primary care services, but we're very focused on chronic care management with health coaches, personalized care plans. Uh, we offer healthy meals. We offer guidance on, let's say, exercise, and I'll say um, rational exercise that you can do around your truck. And then just really being there to help drivers so that you know, the motto we use is so they can drive a million more miles. We have to keep these drivers healthier and on the road, else that one-year certification may become three months or they may uh, fail their uh, DOT exam in the future. You know, I'm going to ask a question that's a little bit personal because my son is actually studying to be a physician's assistant. And um, in fact, he's he's home and he's studying just a couple, just a door across the hallway from me right now. But what's it like to try to hire uh, nurse practitioners or PAs? I mean, this is probably a type of medicine they can't even imagine in their studies, like, okay, you're going to work at a truck stop. But at the same time, you know, you can see a lot of patients who are extremely important to the commerce of America. So what's it like when you try to go out and, and build one of these clinics? You hit the nail on the head. It takes a certain mindset to be a, a nurse practitioner or physician assistant that works at urgent care travel. Because you're, you're correct that the truck stop isn't your typical medical office. But on the flip side, um, you're, you're making potentially an impact on an entire population that is underserved and is just less healthy than the general population. And we know how much the U.S. economy relies on the truck driver. So if you're entrepreneurial and you really have that vision that you can impact not only an individual's life, but really a, a whole industry. That's urgent care travel. That is what we do. And how long have you been around? I mean, the whole concept of urgent care in the medical field is fairly new. We've been around a little over six years. Okay. So you've been around almost, I don't know when I saw the first urgent care clinic, um, but six years sounds like it was probably at least that, maybe a little more. Uh, what are your growth plans? Our growth plans are to grow to about 40 to 50 clinics over time. And really, we, we look at it as gridding the interstate highway system. You know, you go from 10, 20, 40, you know, 70, 80, 90 highways, and then 5 to 95. Think about the intersections. Think about where uh, many terminals may be located. And that's kind of what we call gridding the interstate. And we think 40 to 50 is really a good sweet spot. So maybe you're half a day away wherever you are in the country from the clinic. All right. Well, listen, it's about, it's April 7th as we're recording this. Based on what you've seen, what are your, op, what, what kind of optimism do you hold for the U.S. ability to beat this in some kind of reasonable time frame? I wish I had my crystal ball. Uh, I'll share it with you. Uh, I'm optimistic. I mean, yes, it, it is a challenging time for a lot of people. And there's, there's no use denying it. But, uh, you know, we're seeing, at least at the level that we see from the individual drivers, from the fleets, you see that kind of go-get-em attitude, that teamwork, that we're going to work together. 
We're all going to practice social distancing. We're going to take those best habits we can. And, you know, it's going to come back. It's just a matter of when, as you say. But we, we see the beginnings of at least everyone behaving in a responsible way. Well, good luck to you. Obviously, your company is doing work that's important 365 days a year and now really, really important. So uh, hopefully you, you will have a nice growth curve and hopefully you will be able to keep America's fleet healthy. So, Mitch, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, be safe, be healthy. No, thank you, too. We want to thank Mitch Strobin for joining us today on Drilling Deep. We are just one part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on FreightWaves.com or through numerous platforms that host podcasts. We hope that we'll be one of the ones that you subscribe to. I'm John Kingston for Drilling Deep. Please join us again. Mm-hmm.